This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell PA. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 96 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Right now, it's Saturday, December 2nd, 2017. By the time this show ends, I think it'll be Sunday, December 3rd. Um, we're doing a little bit of a <laughs> uh, modified schedule <laughs> this weekend for the DBR podcast because the three of us can't all be in, uh, on the call at the same time. So uh, I'll introduce us, and then as we go forward, I'll kind of explain the way that the format of today's show is going to go. So I am your host this week. I am Sam Klein, coming to you as usual from Denver, Colorado. I have one uh, one of my co co-hosts with me right now. That's Jason Evans. He's in Atlanta. Jason, do you want to explain to the folks why we're kind of breaking up the show this week? Yes, it is my fault. I will freely say it is all my fault. Um, so uh, it is my wife's 50th birthday. She's turning 50 and we are going to a spa where she's going to be pampered for a couple of days and where I am going to focus upon her because it's her 50th birthday and she deserves that. She's a wonderful, lovely woman. And so the notion that I would, in the middle of, of, of us visiting this spa, the notion that I would spend an hour or two chatting about basketball with my good buddies for her birthday just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So I'm the one to blame. I'm the one who's unavailable when we would ordinarily record on Sunday. Uh, in fact, I couldn't even be available on Monday most of the day until very, very late Monday. So, uh, so Sam and I are going to do part of the podcast right here, right now. And then I'm going to go celebrate my wife's birthday and you guys are going to do the rest of it. You and Donald can do the rest. Does that, does that sound good? Does that work? It works for me. So uh, happy birthday to your wife. Uh, very nice. Nice of you to do Thank that. You. And Thank so, you. So what we're going to do now, like I said, it's Saturday. The, um, the South Dakota game hasn't happened yet. We're recording Saturday morning. So Jason and I are going to talk a little bit about the Indiana game that happened this week. And um, then we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Hey, hey, and we'll... hey I, got an, I got an idea. How about I react to the South Dakota game that hasn't happened yet? Gosh, Duke came out kind of slowly in this game, but then they really turned it on when it got a little <laughs> bit nervous and they and they they won going away. Did, did I just do the South Dakota? I think I just did the South well, Dakota game because we, we that's will, every will, Duke game. <laughs> we will update. We will update when we get there. But uh, so then we'll take the break. We'll come back and uh, Donald and I will talk a little bit more about Indiana. We'll talk a little bit about South Dakota and. Um, and, and we'll kind of look at the schedule going forward. So with that in mind, it being Saturday morning and the South Dakota late game pull away hasn't happened yet. Jason, uh, why don't you give us your general thoughts? So Duke beat uh, Indiana on Wednesday night. They played at Assembly Hall. Duke, this was Duke's first uh, true road game of the season. They're the only one they're going to play in the non-conference as long as you don't consider St. John's to be an actual true road game. Um, they won 91 to 81. They won, as, as Jason said, they won going away. They were winning at halftime. Um, IU managed to pull back, uh, pull back, um, take the lead, uh, with a few minutes left in the game, but, but Duke ultimately prevailed. Um, so Jason, why don't you just give us your general thoughts on the game, uh, from Wednesday night? So, I, I mean, it's clear at this point, first of all, I, let me back up and say this, uh, my prediction for the game, remember, I sort of led the preview and I talked about the fact that I didn't think Indiana could keep up with Duke. Um, I didn't think that this was a very good Indiana team. Um, and I especially thought that they would have trouble with us on the inside. And <clears throat> I was wrong about a lot of that. Um, uh, they did keep up with us. Uh, they were, you know, not only were they in the game, they had a lead on us late. Um, and it, it, it would not have been shocking. It would not have been a huge uh, surprise if Duke had suffered their first loss in this game. Uh, I guess that I had I had underrated two factors. One was how much the home crowd, how much Indiana would get up at home. Um, and God, their, their crowd was fabulous. The crowd really drove them. Um, and and uh, Indiana played far and away their best game of the season. There, there's been a, a good bit of stuff written and said in the wake of that game about where has this Indiana team been? They executed really well, really smartly on offense, took good shots. Um, they played with tremendous intensity and, and rebounded really well. Um, uh, they did a lot of things that Indiana hasn't been doing that well during the season. 
Um, and uh, and as a result, they they stayed very close to Duke. And then then the other factor, in addition to Indiana being at home and playing really well, was Duke's exhausted. I mean, there's there's no question about that. Uh, the Blue Devils have traveled eight thousand five hundred miles um, over the over the past couple weeks. Um, it, it's a really remarkable statistic. They they got them with the tournament um, out in Portland on the other side of the country in Portland. They flew back. Um, uh, they they went to classes on Monday and part of Tuesday, and then they hopped on a plane Tuesday evening to go to Indiana to play the game on Wednesday. It was their ninth game in twenty days. Uh, it was our fifth game in nine days, and <clears throat> the, these guys haven't slept in their bed, but maybe one or two nights in the past week. And they are eighteen-year-old freshmen. They're, they have their very first exams coming up next week. You know, they've got to be, you know, they're, they're in the home stretch on their, on their first semester classes. I mean, I can forgive them for not being on top of their game lately. Um, Jason, you're, you're, you're now making excuses for a team that won by 10 on the road in an environment that could have been described as Maryland-esque circa, you know, 2005. Yeah, but, but what, we're, what we've continually seen with this Duke team is – uh, is a trend that that uh, you know is absolutely troubling, which is that they don't play inspired basketball for the first thirty minutes of the game, and um, and yes, they have been truly excellent in the final five to ten minutes of games, uh, and and it has won them games that look like they were absolute losses. I mean, we talked last time in the podcast uh, that the Texas and the Florida games, according to all these computer modeling kind of things. Duke had like less than a one or two percent chance of winning either one of those games, uh, and, and we that, made. Do Do you think that the that that tendency that they've now shown in in almost all of their you know major games is is something you can attribute to like the makeup of the team? Perhaps there's something about the fact that they're all freshmen that has to do with that, or um, or the fact that they're not familiar with each other. Do you think that that plays a role, or do you think that? They, they really just don't get inspired early and that it's just something the coaches are going to have to hound them about. I mean, I think it comes down to defense. Uh, to me, the, the difference is on defense. Did, did you happen to see uh, Ben Swain, who is a, uh, a notable um, uh, commentator and follower of the Duke basketball team? Um, he, he, he does some stuff on the web. He had an amazing tweet um, about Duke's most recent games. Uh, did you see what he wrote about Duke's um, defense in the final ten no. minutes of the games. No, go, go. Oh, oh, I, I think I did. But why don't you? Why don't you? It is it again. This is yeah. fabulous. So Ben Swain looked at the final ten minutes plus overtime of the Michigan State, Portland State, Texas, Florida, and Indiana games. Most five most recent games, all five games, incredibly tight. Or Duke was down, like in big ways, with ten minutes to go, and then Duke stormed back and won all these games going away. Michigan State, Portland State, Texas, Florida, and Indiana. He was looking at points per possession, which is a, a really key defensive stat because it, you know, it's better than like field goal percentage or other things like that because it really measures your efficiency, whether someone is, how many points are they scoring each time they get the ball. In the first 30 minutes of games, and I hate giving too much stats on the podcast, by the way, because I think people have trouble grabbing numbers. So folks, listen to me carefully. I'm going to talk slowly. The first 30 minutes of those five games, Duke's opponents averaged 1.21 points per possession. Every time they had the ball, they scored 1.21 points. In the last 10 minutes of those games, Duke's opponents scored 0.72 points per possession. So uh, put another way, Duke allowed a total of 73 points in the last 55 minutes of those games. 73 points in 55 minutes. To put that in perspective, over a full 40-minute game, that would be Duke giving up 53 points per game. And, and the way that this offense scores, that would be yeah. that would be 50, sufficient. 53 points. Like Virginia, which plays at an incredibly slow pace and, uh, and is known for an incredible defensive efficiency, the best defensive team in the country pretty consistently over the past few years and again this year. Virginia would love they would kill for an efficiency where they only give up 53 points per game the final 10 minutes of games duke is allowing an average of 53 points per game that is an unreal number 
this team's defensive efficiency is in the final 10 minutes of games is the kind of stuff that that is terrifying for college basketball because by the way their offensive efficiency is through the roof what these guys they they get into you know pick and roll or or uh one on uh, you know uh two man game with Grayson Allen and Marvin Bagley or with uh, uh Bagley or throwing with, high post low post to Wendell yeah, or yeah. Wendell, yeah, Wendell Carter. Uh, but really, the, 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 there's some other stuff I've read. The, the Grayson Allen, um, Marvin Bagley two-man game is pretty much unstoppable at the NCAA level. There are all these high, uh, there are all these uh, you know advanced statistical guys who've run models on it and stuff. And when when Duke gets Grayson and when uh, sorry, uh, not Wendell, when Duke gets Grayson and Marvin Bagley into a two-man game together, whether it's high pick and roll or Bagley uh, posting, um, Duke is uh scoring at at like the it's like the highest two-man rate in the country um i don't know why back to your question i don't know why we're not playing good defense for the first 30 minutes of games and we're not playing good defense and we're not rebounding either by the way Um, do you think that um this has kind of been my thought the last couple weeks is that duke hasn't really found its defensive identity yet so they're athletic enough to kind of just turn up the intensity when when things get you know down to the wire but they don't they don't have a a a game plan that they really trust because it seems like you know they're switching the defense around i felt like against indiana they didn't play maybe enough zone relative to to what they had been doing in in previous games and and iu was able to get the ball inside and and really beat us one-on-one a lot um, um for especially for the beginning of that game do you think that that it's just that they haven't they haven't really locked down what defensive game plan they want to execute yet. I think that's part of it. I think Coach K. Look, the honest to God truth is he hasn't had time to fix the defensive problems. He hasn't had time that they don't know what defense they want to play. Yeah, um, no, and 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 that that's that that's kind of my way of asking. Do you think that this is a a fixable scheme problem or do you think that this is an effort problem it's way too early for me to say that it's not fixable it and and it can't not be fixable because they're clearly doing it right in the final 10 minutes of games and getting them to figure out what they're doing right in the final 10 minutes and expand that over 20 30 40 minutes that's sort of an easy step you know, uh, if you're able to do something correctly part of the time, getting you to do it correctly more of the time is really easy versus a team that can't do something correctly at all. Um, uh, I, 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 the simple reality is we have we've had an incredibly busy early season schedule. We are an incredibly young team. And I think Coach K and the rest of the coaching staff haven't had time to really get the, to dissect it to get these guys where they need to be on defense and uh, I, we've in the next 31 days we have 5 games 5 games in 31 days we played 9 games in in like 15 days or something like that um so we are absolutely going to have a ton more time to work on things and if you're the rest of college basketball that's a scary prospect that's really and, scary. And the things that the things that Duke hasn't done well, like you said, are very fixable. And and I think the one glaring weakness so far um, is is the the outside shooting, where Duke basically, other than Allen, nobody can can reliably hit the three pointer. And and we know from you know from previous seasons, like talking about Luke Kennard's freshman season, where he never he never really got going on offense. But then his sophomore year, it's like it's like it really clicked there's no reason that can't happen for Gary Trent or Trayvon Duvall you know while Duke has a lot more downtime over the next month to well kind of kind of kind of reset themselves and be ready for ACC season the the one thing I'll say about the outside shooting and and you hit upon the next thing I was going to bring up you said oh there's there's lots of time you know that we we can fix that um Outside shooting is one of those things that sometimes you can't fix. Um, uh, there are some people who just aren't good outside shooters. And uh, 
we knew that outside shooting was going to be a concern for this Duke team coming into the season. We knew that they would be way better in the post than Duke usually is, and that they had a lot fewer guys who were really comfortable taking lots of three-pointers. Um, and I, I don't know that we will ever be at the point where we say that this Duke team is a good outside shooting team like but, past but Duke Gary teams Trent, have been. Gary Trent came in with, a, with, with some kind of you know, notoriety for shooting, didn't he? He he did. He did. He 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 wasn't I mean he was known as a guy who was a good three point shooter. He wasn't known as a great three point shooter. He was a very he wasn't good Andre Dawkins, right? <laughs> exactly. He wasn't Andre Dawkins. Uh, he wasn't Luke Kennard. He wasn't JJ Reddick. <laughs> um uh he wasn't even John Shire for that matter. Uh I, I, Gary Trent's game to some extent people thought was was more of a mid-range game and he's shown a, a lot of that. Um uh He's down, he's down, he's hitting less than 30% of his three-pointers in the season now. He's at 29.4%. And teams are, teams are going to pack it in against us more and more and more. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, even, even if we were shooting fairly well from outside, I'd probably pack it in against Duke because, um, because we're so efficient and so good on the inside. I would say, even if Duke had better outside shooters, I'd be like, you got to beat me from the outside because I know I've seen enough of Duke's inside game to know that they'll kill me from the inside. As a team, we're now hitting 322 from three on the season, 32%. Um, and we were wretched. We were three of 17 against Indiana. And a lot of them were wide open. I mean, there were a couple. Grayson Allen still takes some contested threes. But for the most part, we're shooting nothing but wide open threes. And we're hitting only 32% of them. Yeah, Trent, I'm gonna, Trent went over six the other night from three, and, and yeah. Duval went one for three, and and <laughs> it's it's weird because Duke so far seems to be a, you know they're very talented. They're able to beat a lot of these good teams. They they won this this road game in a tough environment, and they're doing it almost entirely without three point shooting, which you know given the makeup of our program the last however many years seems seems almost ridiculous because every year it's like well Duke's going to light it up from three, but um, but if they go cold from three, then 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 they're going to lose, and that that that's been the story probably as long as I've been watching Duke basketball. And there's none of that now. I mean, Duke Duke just throws the ball in the post, um, and Bagley and Carter, and then and then Grayson Allen running the pick and roll basically is the entire offense. I mean, Duvall gets in gets in the lane and, and makes good passes, but for the most part, it, it's coming from the big men, and that that's it, it's just so weird to watch a Duke team that that works like that. I I agree. Uh, I, I'm going to advocate for something. Oh boy. Um, I sort good. of I sort of think we're getting to the point where we need to think about giving Alex O'Connell more minutes. Um, Alex O'Connell's hitting 54 percent from three this season. Now it's yeah, but how many how many has he taken? Eleven. It's eleven. It's a small sample size, but uh, he's he, he he looks a lot better out there shooting from long distance than Gary Trent and Trevon Duval do. And I mean, O'Connell's already, he's getting minutes, more minutes than I think any of us thought he was going to. But I, I want to see him, I'd love to see him get even a little bit more because I feel like we've got to get a little more outside in balance. Um, I mean, teams are not going to give Wendell Carter Jr. and Marvin Bagley room to operate in the post unless we force them to give us room. Um, they're just not Carter and Bagley are too good inside and, uh, they already, teams are already daring Trevon Duval to shoot from the outside. I mean, they give him, he, he doesn't take a three pointer that he has a guy within seven, eight feet of him. Um, and they're going to start doing that with Gary Trent jr. As well. I think, uh, because Trent's struggling so much from out there and O'Connell has shown me, look, I just, you know, in warmups, there, there were a couple times in the Indiana game, this, you're going to laugh at this where like the whistle blew when O'Connell was in the game and, um, and the shot didn't count and O'Connell just turned and sort of launched one from distance. It didn't count. No one was guarding him or anything like that, but it was all net. He did it twice. It was all net both times. And I feel like maybe that's a sign. Do we, yeah. This is the part where maybe you're, maybe you're diving too deep into, into what you want to see. We know that we know that you're a, uh, you're a big Alex O'Connell fan coming into the season since he's, he's one of your Atlanta boys. I, I, I mean, maybe that's the answer. I don't think we've seen enough of him in in enough competitive situations that we know that he's going to be a forty percent three point shooter, and that over 
an extended period over a proper sample that he's definitely going to be an all-around better player than than Gary Trent is, even if Trent is isn't making that many threes. So wait, I I want to be clear. I'm not saying he's going to be a better all-around player than Gary Trent. Um, I don't think that. Uh, you know, this season at least. Um, I I am merely saying I think we are reaching the point where we need to find a way to give him a little more time, probably at Trent's expense and a little bit at Duvall's expense, because I think Allen has done a great job running the point when he has to, um, uh, because I think we need more outside shooting on the floor occasionally. Not all the time, but at least occasionally. All right. And did you, are, are, do I have all of your thoughts at least on the Indiana game? Cause I think I'll talk a little bit more with Donald about it when we come back from the break. Is that, is that, yeah, is that you, enough you, from you, you on Indiana? Did you want to talk? Did you want well, to talk about the ACC Big Ten challenge in general? I, I do, but the last thing I wanted to say about the Indiana game was um, I wanted to single out Wendell Carter Jr., who I thought had an incredible game. When you uh, you know he ran into some foul troubles, but uh, he was he was unbelievably efficient. I thought it was his best game of the year. He had twelve rebounds, five of them offensive. Um, uh, he had you know, almost half of our offensive rebounds as a team. And uh, as good as Marvin Bagley has been, um, if if I was picking a player of the game, uh, it was Wendell Carter Jr. who um, who I think scared Indiana on the inside. Um, I, 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 every time he was in the game, I think they were as worried about him as they were about Bagley, which is amazing considering how good Bagley is. Um, but when you consider that Wendell Carter played 24 minutes he had 18 points and 12 rebounds and two block shots, by the way. Man, that is a big game. And, 24 minutes. And that generally a, a, a tougher defensive assignment than Bagley had. Because he oh, had, yeah, he had Indiana's big guy. Uh, was it Davis? Yeah, yeah, um, Deron Davis. D- Davis, who had his best game of the year. Um, and, and I thought, you know, Bagley battled him inside. Uh, um, I'm sorry, not, uh, Carter battled him inside really, uh, you know, as effectively as he could. And, and, and by the way, speaking of that, I wanted to take a real quick moment and shout out to Marquise Bolden. Um, Grayson Allen, after the game, Grayson Allen posted a post-game tweet, which he very rarely does. Grayson doesn't usually comment on games that much on his Twitter feed. Um, but his post-game tweet was a picture of Marquise Bolden on the floor grabbing a loose ball. And, and Grayson, was, Grayson you know, took that moment to praise Marquise Bolden for for what was a you know a great hustle play um and and Grayson said games are won with hustle plays shout out to Marquise for coming up with a big one last night and and it's that play it was in the final minute or minute and a half two minutes of the game where Marquise went to the floor grabbed a loose ball and and changed a possession from Indiana to Duke um it, it was it was a big play in the game and I thought Bolden had a couple other plays where he had some really nice defense that he played down the stretch uh, you know, he's a guy who, you know, to some extent has been forgotten or 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 yeah, not buried, but he just doesn't get much attention because Carter and Bagley are so, so, so good. And look, Bolden is battling Delorier for for postman backup minutes. Um, but uh, I, I thought, you know, Bolden played really, really nicely in his limited time on defense. And that's going to be an important factor for Duke. Really important. Yeah, no, I, I, I I'm glad that you brought up Bolden because. I know that I'm going to mention him again, Donald. Hey, why don't you give us your uh, thoughts on the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap with you, and I'll and I'll switch over to the future part of the show. Awesome, excellent. Uh, so, my thoughts on the ACC Big Ten Challenge, aside from the fact that the ACC kicked butt. I mean, absolutely dominated the Big Ten in a way. I mean, like, I think everyone thought the ACC would be favored in the challenge. You know, it was 14 games. We won 11 to 3. You might have found someone who, who you know, was going to say, oh, maybe the ACC will win 9 to 5. But for us to win 11 to 3 was a big, big, it's the most wins in the history of the challenge. Uh, but the reason this is significant is this. Most years, you can pencil in the Big Ten for about eight NCAA tournament bids, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that kind of vicinity. Well, after getting crushed in the challenge, the, the only Big Ten teams who look like they are, you know, locks to make the NCAA tournament 
are Michigan State, Minnesota, and Purdue. They're, they're the only teams that have any decent non-conference victories. The rest of the conference, uh, you know, Maryland got a win over Butler. Um, Michigan beat Virginia Commonwealth, but Michigan doesn't have, I mean, Virginia Commonwealth, is that what you're going to hang your hat on? Butler, is that the only thing you're going to hang your hat on? They're, 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 the Big Ten, outside of Michigan State, Minnesota, and Purdue, the Big Ten doesn't have a single team that's beaten a team that's in the top 50 in Ken Palm. They only have four wins against top 100 Ken Pomeroy teams. So now that that's, the AC, that, is, that is that is striking. That's unreal. Yeah, that is un, that's crazy. I mean, the teams at the bottom of the ACC, teams like Georgia Tech, uh, even Wake Forest and Pittsburgh, Boston College, these teams have collected wins against top hundred teams, and and the Big Ten just hasn't. Um, so after the ACC beat the Big Ten 11 to three with, uh, and by the way, the Big Ten's non-conference season is almost done. The Big Ten's playing more conference games this year than usual. So they're starting uh, conference games like in the next week or two. Uh, I think I saw Northwestern has like two or three conference games in the month of December. Yeah, the because, they're, because they're playing their, their conference tournament a week early. A week early, so, that's right. So they're they can play in Madison Square Garden. It's, it's that's very right. weird. They're playing their conference tournament early, exactly. So, uh, so the Big Ten, which, like I said, usually gets seven, eight, nine bids, they could easily be looking at a season where they only get four or five NCAA tournament bids. And if that happens, that could free up an extra bid or two for the mid-lower tier ACC teams. Uh, we talked, you know, we, we gave predictions at the beginning of the season, you know, how many ACC teams were going to make it. Uh, I don't remember. I think I said nine. Um, and, and I, I, I am liking that number right now because the ACC compared to other conferences is standing out in a, in a pretty big way. Um, not just the top, I mean, the top of the ACC is really standing out, but even the middle of the ACC and, and even the lower tier of the ACC is standing out as really competitive. And, uh, and it absolutely looks like, um, uh, the, the big 10 could struggle to get bids and that could be good for the ACC. So that's my comment on the ACC big 10 challenge. Yeah, it is interesting that um, every year we, you know, when the committee gets together to to do the selection process, they don't specifically say, you know, Big Ten gets this number of teams based on how how good we perceive them to be. But it it kind of shakes out that way because, you know, the, the the better each conference does in the non conference, the stronger the teams are going into conference play. Therefore, the more opportunities for the middle lower parts of the of the major conferences to get wins against high caliber teams, the ACC is going to have a lot more, the lower tier ACC teams will have more opportunities to do that. The big 10 teams won't. And like you said, their non-conference season is, is, is almost over. I know that a lot of the teams are, are going to get conference games and then go back and play a couple more non-conference games, but their sort of the marquee games are all over. And, and the opportunities for those, those mid-level big 10 teams to, to prove that they belong in the tournament discussion now, not necessarily in March, but now has really diminished. And now they don't have those kinds of opportunities um, to do so. So th- this part of the season, even though it, it's, it's so far away from March has so much to do with where the, where the selection committee goes, especially for those mid-level teams. It's not necessarily an issue for the Dukes and North Carolinas and Michigan States, um, but it is going to have an effect on, like you said, teams like Maryland, uh, in the ACC, you know, teams like Georgia Tech, although Georgia Tech seems to be seems to be struggling now, um, you know, teams like Georgia Tech and Miami and Florida State, those teams are going to have more opportunities now to prove themselves than than those Big Ten teams will. And and yeah, I, I think I think your assessment on that is is right on. I, I don't the, necessarily the, get the, yeah. the ACC teams that I think are going to benefit from this kind of stuff. Um, Miami is going to make the tournament for sure. Miami is maybe even a top 15 team. Uh, but Virginia Tech, Florida State, Clemson, Syracuse. Um, those are the kind of teams that I think right. um, that could have been on the bubble. Maybe Georgia, maybe Georgia Tech uh, and NC State. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech and NC State are, are, on the, are, on, uh, are, in, are in the running. The, Wait, what do you mean? NC State beat Arizona. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Arizona very, was, was totally crashing. <laughs> yeah, a very impressive. It's still an impressive win, even with Arizona crashing like that. It's still a very impressive win. But but those teams in the middle, lower half of the ACC, 
Um, you know, if, if we're looking at nine bids or so, you are going to look back um, on, uh, on, on this part of the season and how well the ACC has done. Um, and that's going to be why, you know, you're going to see teams that, that maybe aren't, don't have a winning record in the ACC who are still in the conversation because the conference is so strong. I, I think that's all we're going to get this week out of Jason. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll hear from uh, our sponsor and we'll come back and I'll be talking to Donald Wine sometime after I'm talking to Jason uh, about Duke's recent games back in the, in the cupcake part of the schedule. No offense to the South Dakotas of the world. And, uh, and we'll go from there. So Jason, thank you um, for making what time you, you could have today. Uh, happy birthday to your wife, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, thanks a lot, I, Sam. I appreciate you making time for me. Okay, I'm going to go get breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine fellows over at Bird Campbell, PA. We have a message from Tucker Bird this week uh, who said he wanted to give his takeaway from the Indiana game. So he says, you got to love the way that Grayson carries himself with all the dignity and aplomb of the former Duke greats who were subjected to the same jeering from opposing fans. He didn't wilt, he fed off of it. Even his crouching tiger pose after nailing that late three-pointer dagger at the top of the key over an outstretched defender had an elegance to it. So thanks again to the gentleman at Bird Campbell PA for sponsoring the show. Okay, we are now fast forwarding into the future. It is now Monday night. I think originally when Jason and I recorded on Saturday, we said we were going to do this Sunday. Uh, some stuff came up. So here we are Monday night. Um, Duke did manage to beat South Dakota on Saturday. Uh, and I am now joined by a different co-host. So still Sam here, but on the other line, I have Donald Wine, who is joining us, I think as usual from Washington. Is that right, Donald? Yes, I am in my usual spot, and uh, the real MVP of this podcast is you, Sam, for being able to accommodate both Jason and I uh, with this. So uh, thank you for doing that, and uh, hey, thank man, you guys you know out what? there for listening. Any, and anything for you guys, and more importantly, for our listeners. So, and really uh, for I, and really for Mrs. Evans, because this is this is her day. I believe it's her yeah, birthday and, today. And, and really, really for Jason's wife. It sounds like they had a great time. Um, uh, I know I saw at least one photo on social media. Yeah. Happy, so happy birthday, Mrs. Evans. Happy birthday. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about Duke basketball, though, because that's usually what we do here. Uh, so Duke did beat South Dakota on Saturday. I don't know, Donald, did you get a chance to listen to the first half of the show Jason and I recorded the other day? I did. I did. Uh, and I have some right. thoughts on Indiana quickly. I know uh, Jason... Good. Talked a lot about it, but I had a couple of extra thoughts I wanted to add. Okay, why don't you why don't you just go ahead and I will um, chime in anything I think that the two of you forgot. If yeah, I, well, it, there shouldn't be much. <laughs> no, no, and and I agree with a lot of what Jason said. I I agree. You know, first start off uh, that Wendell Carter Jr. had a terrific game. I thought he, you know, I was watching the game from home, which uh, which is a a welcome change for sometimes because you get to actually listen to the commentary and he got a lot of love and for good reason, you know, he doesn't get talked a lot about because of all the attention given to Marvin Bagley. Uh, but if Marvin Bagley, I think Jay Bill has said numerous times during that broadcast, if Marvin Bagley, the third had not reclassified window Carter would be the best big man in the country. Um, and, and he really showed it against Indiana. You know, he drew the hard assignments. Uh, he, I, he had that Davis guy, Deron Davis, um, who really went off, but Wendell Carter was giving it right back to him. And the one thing that I love about him, we talk a lot about, about the poise of the team and they showed that again, uh, against Indiana, but I feel like of the guys, he's the most poised. Like I've ne I don't feel like even when he has a bad call, like go against them. He doesn't really that that much. He just kind of he 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 doesn't spaz out or anything like that. He just you know kind of reacts quickly and then he he really defines the Coach K mantra of next play. Like that is that is Wendell Carter Jr. He literally just he's able to tune that out and get to the next play. And really he he rebounds uh a, he bounces back a lot from uh you know sometimes when he has a bad game and and we'll get into South Dakota, but I think. 
you know, when he has a you know an off game, he doesn't let that phase him. And I think that's one thing that I think should be talked about more when it comes to Wendell Carter Jr. Yeah, uh, I, I think that I think that that poise is is really impressive. We've talked about it mm-hmm. already a couple times in this short season, um, but Bagley and and Carter in particular, and and Carter often will will draw tougher um, defensive assignments like he did against Indiana with Davis because Davis is a much bigger body than either of those two guys. And Carter, I think, I think had to handle him more often. And this won't, I don't don't think this will be the only big, you know, experienced big man that Carter's going to have to go up against this year who will probably put up numbers, but, but Carter, it seems like he's able to just kind of internalize, move on and recognize that, he's going to get beat like that sometimes and he's still a good defender and he doesn't have to totally shut down the other team's big man to make a really positive impact on defense. And it doesn't seem like Davis's success against him was really getting to him other than the fact that Carter did foul out and only played 25 minutes. Right. And, and, but you know, the other thing is I think he plays, you know, so far what I've seen from him compared to Bagley is that he has more of a back to the basket type of game but he has other, you know, he could do a lot of other things as well. That's it's not the best way to define him. But I feel like he has more of those tools in his basket than Bagley does. Bagley is more of a, I mean, he's he's getting the ball in the post, and you know, Bagley likes to turn around and basically face the basket, and then he goes to work. Carter feels very comfortable getting the ball, backing down somebody, and then making a move, whether it's a fadeaway jumper or turning around and laying it in or, or dunking it. Uh, I think he has a lot more of those fundamentals and and it's kind of, we talked, uh, I know you talked a couple weeks ago about uh, Bagley's game versus like the new type of big man versus uh, Jaleel Okafor and the old type of, of game. I think Wendell Carter makes that bridge uh, very, very well at times. And I think he's very comfortable in both settings. Uh, but the one thing, the other thing I want to talk about uh, and, and Jason talked about this as well, very quickly, uh, Marquise Bolden. Um, he only had one point. He didn't have any rebounds, but he had a key block and he had two steals, including what I thought was the play of the game was that uh, in this late in the second half where he tapped the ball loose, dove after it, grabbed the ball, and then trying to start a break got fouled in the process. Uh, and that was the the play that uh, Grayson Allen was talking about after the game when he said that this is the type of plays that we need at Duke. Um, he even if you watch the replay, he's yelling that at the bench. He's like, that's what we need. That's the type of play that Duke that's that's how Duke does essentially is what he was saying uh so I that doesn't show up in the stat sheet in my opinion he also you know when he came in uh to spell Wendell Carter when Wendell Carter was in foul trouble he you know Davis you know still made a couple of baskets but a lot of times he did enough defense to make Davis force a kickback out to somebody else who took a bad shot and I think that you know those sort of things don't show up in the stat sheet so I think he's looking better um, at times. He's had a stretch of a few games now where I think he's had great spells uh, when Bagley or Carter are on the bench. And I just want that to be made aware that that effort that he gave against Indiana was key and it, it didn't go unnoticed by myself. Yeah. And, and I, I, like you said, I think we talked about it a fair bit the, in, the, in the first segment, but that, that energy from Bolden, it's not like, I think that Bolden would prefer to have a bigger role. Certainly he would probably like to be playing 20, 25 minutes a game. If this is all he can do. And if Bagley and Carter continue to just be double, double machines, this is all Bolden has to do. And, and honestly, it might work out better for him to have this role. It seems like he's embraced it, which I don't know about you. I would have been skeptical of at the beginning of the season. You know, there were, the rumors in the spring that he was thinking of transferring the fact that he's embraced a role of being basically the fourth big on the, in the rotation, the second guy off the bench and that he still comes in and gives energy minutes is really impressive and not something I expected coming into the season. So he's, I think I've changed my opinion about him uh, a a pretty fair amount since even three weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, that is really impressive. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to, to kind of, cap off Indiana um, both he he's learned a lot from these freshmen uh, and I think it really shows you know I think you know we were talking about the fact that he's not we didn't think of him as an energy player and now he realizes to get on the court that's what he needs to do when Bagley and Carter get to the bench 
he needs to bring the same intensity so that the the other team doesn't think, oh, it's, it's Bolden. We're we're okay now. We can climb back into this ball game or we can put the game away. Uh, so I think he's doing that very well. But one thing he's also learning that uh, that he I've seen it a couple times, not not uh, against Indiana, but in a couple other games, he goes up to try and grab rebounds with two hands. And when we were playing Indiana, they talked a lot about how Wendell Carter, no matter what he does, if he jumps up in the air for to grab a ball, to grab to, to grab a rebound, to try and tip dunk, whatever. He always goes up with two hands to try and grab the ball. This very old school way of going up for rebounds where, you know, today you'll see people try and jump as high as possible with one hand and, and try to grab the rebound. And he's coming down with it over a lot of people and he's jumping with two. That tells me that he has great athleticism. And it also it's a, it's a very teachable move. Um, it's a very simple uh, nuanced like detail that, goes unnoticed by a lot but i i like that carter does that and i like that it's rubbing off on other people especially marquise bolden who when he comes into the game we need that energy and we need those uh need those rebounds and he's been doing that uh in the last few games i've been very impressed by him all right let's talk really briefly about the south dakota game so since (laughs) this podcast started Duke beat the South Dakota Coyotes. Um, final score. Oh my gosh. Why did I lose it? Uh, 96 to 80. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So they beat the Coyotes 96 to 80. The, I think the most notable thing to come out of this game is that Duke actually lost in the second half. Um, the, the announcers kept talking about it because Duke came out, came out to such a big lead in the first half that it seemed like in the second half, Coach K kind of called the dogs off, emptied the bench, um, really, really got playing time for for guys down in the rotation. Jack White got a few minutes. Justin Robinson got in the game at the end. We saw a pretty fair amount of Jordan Goldwire. So I, I wouldn't look at the final score and say, oh, Duke only beat a, a team that had to travel 2,500 miles to be there by 16 points at home. Uh, I, I would look at it and say that, you know, if you want to take the positive spin, Duke just roared out to a great start. This was probably the last game in the stretch where you could talk about them possibly having tired legs just from, from the schedule they've played recently. And the announcers kept referencing that in the second half, South Dakota was still pretty fired up to be in Cameron. So, uh, Donald, did you, did you get to see the South Dakota game? And, uh, and if so, what were, what were your impressions? And maybe talk more about the first half than the second half, since I think that the first half is really the only, the only like, important part of the game that we should take away from, I would say. Yeah, so I, I think the the one thing that I took away, first of all, I, I thought for the most part, it was a pretty comfortable victory. It wasn't where we were uh, having the, oh, no, not again type of moments uh, during this game. It was one of those where we, you know, for once, we actually pulled away a little bit early and kind of coasted to the finish as opposed to having to, you know, come, you know, come from behind late uh, and, and put out a flurry at the end. So uh, I think Grayson Allen had another wonderful game. He had 8 of 11 shooting, 25 points. Uh, Marvin, uh, Mar- um, uh, Marvin Bagley the third. Uh, why did I forget his name? Marvin Bagley the third. Also, <laughs> he's only been the best player in college basketball. This yeah, year. It's, it's it's weird. Uh, you know what? It was autocorrect. I'm looking at my notes, and autocorrect uh, did not uh, does not like Bagley. Apparently, um, we'll figure that out. But anyway, he had another. You know, yeah, basically, yeah, correct better learn Bagley pretty soon. It's gonna have to. Uh, I've been typing it a lot lately. Yeah, uh, <laughs> as probably have you and Jason, but. Uh, you know, he had what was is kind of almost a whole home game for him. 19 points and 12 boards. Like, I, I almost feel stupid saying that. Yeah, he kind of had a, you know, a, a meh game with 19 points and 12 boards. It's kind and, of and, and he brought three shots too. You know, on eight of 11. Yeah, same thing. So, uh, Delorier had a great game off the bench. He had 13 points, nine boards. The one thing I think we didn't do well, and there's probably a lot in the second half. Uh, when I'm thinking of thinking back on it, we didn't protect the ball very well. We had 19 turnovers, which is uh, when you're coming off of the high of the Indiana game, where we only had eight turnovers, that's kind of a surprise to me. Uh, but yeah, Saint- I, I actually think that was that was a second half problem. In the first half, they the Duke only turned it over like maybe one or two times going into the half, and the and the mm-hmm. announcers were like, "Man, Duke is just is just controlling the ball and controlling the the game." And in the second half, it was like every possession was was going out of our hands. Yeah, and and I think a lot of them also is like we had a lot of assists in the first half too. I think we had like 12 assists in the first half. Um, 
it, so we're we're spreading the ball around. We're doing the natural things that we're we're used to doing this season. And I think a lot of it, it wasn't a lot where we were, you know, careless with the ball. Uh, but it's, you know, South Dakota played pretty well. They were just outmatched. I, I think, you know, Wendell Carter didn't have a great game, um, you know, statistically. Uh, but we he helped us dominate inside. We had 54 points in the paint. We had 20 second half or second chance points. That's going to, you know, obviously help you win ball games, especially against a team that's kind of outmatched like South Dakota was. Yeah, and and the one thing that I'll add is that uh, South Dakota's leading scorer this year is Matt Mooney. I know that we didn't preview this game in depth. Um, Matt Mooney played in this game, um, shot one for five, and I believe only had three points. So, um, and and he's a he's like a their he's their lead guard. Um, mm-hmm. So a, a good job by the by the defensive uh, squad, particularly in the perimeter, um, for shutting down their best player. Uh, I, I thought that that was impressive and. Even though we didn't talk much about it, I, the announcers kind of got into the fact that South Dakota feels like they can compete this year in, um, you know, in in their league, and that this was a year for them to to go out and and play good teams on the road because they thought, you know, maybe they'll get a a, a good shot at one of these top programs. And and to their credit, they battled all the way to the end of the game, and they kept it. I wouldn't say close, but um, but at least competitive. There was a point in the second half where I think they drew within like twelve or thirteen, and the crowd kind of had to wake up and be like, "Oh, we're you know we're we're still in the game. We we still have to you know ride out the end of it and and not just totally fall asleep." So that was impressive by South Dakota. I I enjoyed watching them, and I know that their coach had a lot of nice things to say uh, about Coach K and and Bagley and the rest of the program after the game. Yeah, they were they were mentioning the coach uh, to wrap up real quickly. The coach. Uh, I guess he is his fourth year. Uh, this is his fourth season at South Dakota. And literally since he got to South Dakota, he said, I want my players to play against Duke and Cameron. And he's been trying to get this game for, you know, almost, you know, three seasons and finally got in his fourth season. So uh, I think that's pretty cool when you, when a team uh, in, in a coaching staff wants so bad to get that experience because they know how much it'll help their players uh, win or lose. So I, I think that's pretty cool. And, and, and you could tell, like, not just the, the players, but the, the the South Dakota fans that were there uh, were very loud and, and and very, like, into the game the entire time and taking in the experience. And honestly, in, in a game that was, you know, pretty comfortable, a victory for Duke, that's, you know, it's cool to see that in a way. Definitely. So one more uh, game topic, sort of standard topic before we do our, our normal wrap-up. Uh, Duke has a game tomorrow night. So tonight is Monday. Duke has a game tomorrow night against the St. Francis from um, from Pennsylvania. Um, did you, Donald, I think you got an opportunity a little bit to, to look into St. Francis. Is there anything that um, the Duke fans should be looking for uh, in this in this game Tuesday night? Yeah, so the real, the real thing that I want to highlight on is the fact that I, I just want to talk about the the people that the guys that they have that are going to really log the heavy minutes and are going to uh, be the ones that they rely on to, to score the most points. They're led by Keith Braxton, who's their six, four sophomore guard. Uh, he averages six point, 16.4 points per game. He averages 7.9 rebounds a game, 2.6, eight, uh, 2.6 assists a game and is their best three point shooter and one of their best field goal shooters. So he's going to be their main guy. Uh, but other guys who average over 10 points per game, uh, Isaiah Blackman, their 6'1 junior guard, Jamal King, their 5'10 junior guard, and Andre Wolfert, who is their 6'2 uh, junior guard. Uh, they're going to log considerable minutes. The two guys that you need to key in on uh, inside are uh, Devias Kuz- Kuzavis, and I know I've misspelled that or mispronounced that, and I apologize. Uh, Kuz- uh, Kuzavis and Mark Flagg are the real only big men that log real minutes. Kuzavas is 6'10", Flag is 6'8", but after that, this is a really, really small team uh, that's very dominated by their guards. As a result, they don't grab many rebounds. The simple key to this game are inside presence. Obviously, Bagley, Carter, Delorier, and Bolden should have a field day against this defense uh, because they're going to be you know, three, four inches taller than just about everybody on their team um, at the very least. So those guys are going to really be big. Can they, you know, this is really the last game. Uh, we have one more on Saturday against Boston College, but after that, they get like three games in 20 days instead of, 
nine with 12 games in, in basically 28 days. Uh, but on the perimeter, our guards are also bigger than most of their uh, most of the red flash uh, that see considerable minutes. So if we can force some turnovers and run on the transition combined with controlling the interior, uh, grabbing a lot of rebounds, this should be a comfortable victory. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, Duke plays Boston College on Saturday. The Eagles, I still don't think are playing at a quite competitive ACC level. They they haven't been all that competitive the last few years. Um, They've lost three games so far this season, and um, the game I believe is uh, is is up in Chestnut Hill. So hopefully, some Duke fans up in the Boston area are going to get to go see the Blue Devils on Saturday. Um, the one one thing looking at Boston College is that they they do spread the ball around. They've got four guys who average double figures, and then and then a fifth who's averaging nine points a game. So uh, it's not it's not kind of one guy for BC. It's kind of the whole team, but. They have a few losses this year. They they lost at Nebraska in the in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Um, before that, they lost on the road to Providence, who's who's a pretty good team, uh, but they they did get kind of beaten by them uh, pretty bad. So Duke hopefully shouldn't have much of a problem this week with either St. Francis or with BC, even though BC is going to be the first uh, conference road game. Probably a good opportunity for the Blue Devils to to stretch their legs a little bit more in road ACC play before they start playing at places like Chapel Hill, um, you know, or, or South Bend or wherever else they're, they're going um, this season. So and this I think is the first time it. we've had, this is the first time we've had that uh, December ACC game in, in a number of years. Um, and I, I'm not, they, they are starting to go back to this a little bit, having the one before the new year, but uh, uh, yeah, this is going to be a nice test uh, as far as intensity level. Um, the last game before finals, uh, can they match the intensity level of, uh, of, of Boston College playing on the road? Uh, and I think it's going to be, you know, if it's anything like it was a couple years ago, uh, it's going to be, a, you know, a lot of Duke fans in the stands. But uh, it's still a true road game, and, and the guys will need to come out with, with the fire and passion that they've done so far. Um, if they do that, I think we're, I think we're in the clear. Okay, I think we're going to wrap it up with our usual closing segment. So um, we don't have Jason here to do his player of the week and parting shot, but Donald, I can ask you, give me your player of the week, um, and and you can include the Indiana game and the South Dakota game as you see fit. Uh, my player of the week for those two games is Grayson Allen. He had 21 points against Indiana, 25 against South Dakota, uh, really hit outside, outside shots when we needed them, especially against Indiana and came up with some very big plays. So for that, he is my player of the week, and really, really good to see him back shooting the ball well again. And I'm going to take the same guy. Uh, an, an excellent um, an excellent week for, for Allen. Um, I think we're going to be giving these awards pretty much back and forth this season to him and, and Bagley, but, but don't sleep on, I guess, any of the rest of the starters because um, it, it was a pretty great team effort on – uh, you know, in Bloomington the other night in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So, uh, and and although Jason, I don't think was correct about about how Duke pulled away late against South Dakota, as he sort of jokingly predicted, the the trend continued. And um, I think, as I said before, not necessarily that I I prefer Duke to win this way, but the fact that they can is is pretty promising for such a young team that that has so little college basketball experience and then donald do you have a parting parting shot yes i do uh i'm going to talk about duke football we're going bowling guys and we're going to my hometown detroit have we wait What's up? Have we not talked about we didn't talk about it. you want to talk about it now we don't have to make that yeah, my party no, shot you know what I'm, I'm i'm totally sorry go ahead give me your piece on on duke football playing in the bowl game well <laughs> as, as you guys know the bowls came the bowl selections came out on sunday and they were rewarded with a trip to Detroit and a berth in the Quick Lane Bowl, which is on December 26th. Detroit is my hometown, uh, and they will get to see the Blue Devils for the first time. And I'm very excited that our team will get that extra three weeks of practice and the opportunity to hopefully win one more game this year. Uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to get up there for the game. Um, it's going to require some schedule shifting because my family does not live there anymore. Uh, but I'm hoping to make it work. 
The team we're facing, Northern Illinois, who is a pretty good team. We're not going to preview them tonight or anything like that, but uh, they're a really good team. You know, according to the Massey Composite Rankings, which is kind of a, a ranking that combines all of the you know various computer rankings for uh, for college football. Northern Illinois is 59th, and Duke is listed at 54th. So they're they're pretty on par with us as far as uh, ability. They barely lost to Boston College during the season, but they did beat Nebraska in Lincoln which is no easy feat. So this will be a good test for uh, for Duke gang um, as they seek their seventh win in the season and their second bowl win in three years. All right. That's uh, yeah. I, I, I had totally forgotten that we, uh, that we got our bowl selection from the last time we recorded until today. So that's, that's pretty exciting. I won't be able to make it to the game this year, unfortunately. So you're going to have to try your best to be there uh, to represent the show for all of us. And I don't have much more to say. I think, as you said, maybe we'll preview that game as it gets closer and we get to do uh, maybe a little bit more research about Northern Illinois because, um, you know, it is it is a bowl game. Uh, Duke has the opportunity to come out from this season with a with a winning record. So that would be pretty. Um, I will wrap with, with two quick notes. The first on college football, uh, the ACC lost, I think, one of its best coaches this week. Uh, when Jimbo Fisher took his uh, new contract over at Texas A&M, they gave him $75 million to uh, coach their program for the next 10 years. And man, being a college football coach is great work if you're good at it. Because we, that should, is, we should do that one day. We that should is, be college that coach. A, man, that is a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> good, good for him. Uh, it, <laughs> I guess he's really lucky that they don't have to pay the players. But that's a discussion for another time. Um, the other thing is a reminder that as we're getting into this part of the season where there isn't as much basketball to discuss, I think, like you said, the next few weeks, there aren't that many games. We will do a show where uh, we play the game we suggested the other week where I watch old basketball clips. So if you have uh, favorite basketball clips from, say, before 2000, um, send them to us. We we got a couple submissions already. I know there's a video of Shaquille O'Neal at LSU that I'm going to watch, right? That that was that was when we got submitted. That is one, yeah. Um, so you can you can post those over in any of the uh, any of the threads we do at the forum where we uh, where we discuss the show. You can also send them to us. Email address it's dbrpodcast at gmail dot com. Don't forget also if you love the show, you uh, should subscribe on iTunes or Google or Stitcher or SoundCloud anywhere that you get your podcasts. Leave us a review; it helps us get found. Um, if you have any complaints. Feel free to email them at the, to that same email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. All three of us um, will read anything that, that comes into that address. Uh, any comments that you want to send there or that you want to leave on the forum, don't forget, um, we always post a thread about the uh, any particular episode on the forum. You can find the forum at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. And finally, if you want to sponsor a show, uh, you can email us also at that same address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get that all set up for you. So, Sam, one last uh, thing. Uh, yeah. if, if you guys are, are listening to this, this will probably, it'll be Tuesday, uh, December 5th, when this is released to the masses. Uh, but Wednesday, December 6th, marks exactly three years since the first episode of the DBR podcast. Can you hey, believe that? Three happy years. anniversary. Or yeah, whatever. man. <laughs> pretty cool uh listeners feel free to not go back and listen to our original episodes because i don't know that they're all that good there are a lot of ums and, uh, and uhs for sure yeah we've, we, we've toned well, that down a little bit we've we've tried to tone that down i also think that we've probably become more familiar with each other and sort of know each other's ticks a little better than we did before i know that when we started like i had never i had never met either you or jason in person we had communicated like over the forums before because we're because we're all moderators and, and have been posting on there for a while but i didn't i didn't know any of you actually in person when we started the show so there was a lot of kind of getting used to it so feel free not to listen to those old episodes uh we leave them up there for your entertainment or whatever but um i, I actually listened to episode one the other day and it sounds like the it sounds like the first day of camp you know we're like hi i yeah. am donald I'm from Washington DC. I like I, I like Duke basketball and you're like I like Duke basketball too. Like it's I was, it's... <laughs> thinking, I was thinking recently that we might want to like because we've been doing this for so long, we might want to like reintroduce ourselves, but I feel like we get enough of the biographical data 
interspersed within the show that that hopefully folks know enough about us to at least know where we're coming from. I'm the young one, and Donald's the middle-aged one, and, and Jason's the old one, right? So exactly. that's about all you need to know. Um, so anyway, for uh, well, that'll do it. Um, so for Donald Wine, who is here with me now, for Jason Evans, who is not on the call but was earlier, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 96 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>